the way that we went from 700,000 installs to 50 million installs, the secret sauce there was we, I, we really figured out, we just hit a niche in the market and the, and we were very good at social media. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Scott Meyer, who is the CEO of Ghostery, which alerts users about web bugs, ad networks, widgets on visited web pages. Scott was previously the CEO of About.com and GM of the New York Times on the web before starting Ghostery. Scott, how's it going? Uh, It's going great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? So I'm the the CEO and co-founder of Ghostery. So in terms of what the company does, we try to make the web suck less because it's it's tough out there. There's this, what we call a Frankenstack of marketing technology that's watching you on really on every page you visit. And that can be very frustrating for regular people, right? You go to a web page, it's really slow. Your ads are following you around the internet. You don't feel like you have a lot of control. Ghostry gives you transparency and control over what's happening. And our business model is based on the same, solving the same problem for companies because companies actually have no idea what's happening on their own sites, which initially seems a little, a little absurd, but it's true. It's a huge problem because inside of this Frankenstack, and what I mean by that is there's like 3,500 companies growing all the time whose business is marketing technology. And each of them has a line of JavaScript code that they want to put out there, which by itself is great but it gets out of control. And so companies have the same problem. Their sites getting slow, which hurts them in conversions, data leaking out to competitors, not getting to the right places, security gaps showing up on the site and challenges with compliance with tricky privacy laws around the world. So we have a SaaS business that uses data that people contribute to us anonymously and on an opt-in basis from the Ghostry browser plugin. And we've built that into a suite of, of software tools that have become very popular across the industry. Got it. Okay, I've been a Ghostery user for for God knows how long, and just just as a you know just as a consumer, I'm looking at you know it's just I'm interested to see you know what sites you know what, what kind of technologies websites are running. Now, talking about the SaaS product a little more because this is kind of leading into my question. My, I guess the main question is how does Ghostery you know make money? What's the value proposition for these? Um, I, I guess you know for these businesses using it, your your SaaS product. Absolutely. So we make money. We charge a. Generally, we charge a, a flat annual software license fee. And the value proposition is that because we have millions of Ghostry users around the world who've opted in to share data with us on what they see on the sites they visit, we're able to provide these companies with a level of insight to make their websites cleaner, faster, and safer that no one else can provide. And the beauty is, it, is because we already have all the data from Ghostry users, there's basically no implementation. So we can start solving problems for companies to start making more money almost instantly. 
Got it. Okay. So if I'm a business coming in and then I start, I subscribe to your SaaS product, you know, you guys are going to provide me, you know, kind of reports and insights on, you know, what I should be doing and then, you know, where we should be going based on, you know, all the, all the data that you've collected. Exactly right. And, and what's great about it is pretty much all of our enterprise customers either are already using the browser extension or once we show them what we're talking about, they start using the browser extension right away. About 10% of the active users of the Ghostry browser extension aren't using it as regular people trying to speed up and clean up their web experience. They're actually using it for their jobs. They're using it for QA, for web operations, and for competitive intelligence. So it's it's got a pretty big following in the professional space, and that's uh, what we build on. Great. Okay. What numbers can you share around the business today in terms of growth rates, number of customers, things like that? So we're growing very fast. We've been growing consistently over the past four or five years at north of 30% a year and will generate well north of $20 million in revenue this year. And uh, we have the ability to be profitable. We're just investing in growth. It's a, it's a very strong and capital efficient business that we've built. We've only raised a, a fairly small amount of equity for a software company of our size. We've raised $26 million in equity from Warburg Pincus. Got it. And you were part of Warburg Pincus in the past, right? Yeah. So I had a, a really cool transition. I was, uh, as you saw and uh, mentioned, I worked for the New York Times for eight years. My last job there was CEO of About.com when they owned it. And I had essentially reached the end of my time at the times. I love the company and my next job wasn't there. I've been friends with the Warburg folks for a long time and they offered me a role as entrepreneur in residence where I got to go in and just hang out with them and they're super smart. Man, what a great, great group of investors and uh, got to go hang out with them. I had some ideas for uh, doing a roll up of some companies in the publishing space and that was end of 2008. So as you can imagine, the world sort of came to an end. And then we, through a series of ins and outs and ups and downs, came up with the idea for what became Ghostry. Uh, the original idea was to power the Ad Choices program. Most of your listeners will see every day in the display ads on the internet, they'll see this little blue icon. It's a little blue triangle in the corner of most of the display ads. It says Ad Choices. That's a, a compliance program. In the ad industry in the U.S., Europe, and Canada created it to give consumers more control over how ads are targeted to them. We're a key part of that back end of that program. So we, if you click on one of those icons, it'll show you how the ad was targeted to you and enable you to opt out. Uh, we provide that service to about 300 companies around the world every day in 52 languages. So that's where we started. And we bought the Ghostry browser extension from David Cancel, who's still an investor and advisor in the business, uh, because we needed a source of real user data to see if companies were complying with the program. And over time, the Ghostry browser extension took off in popularity and the privacy laws in Europe changed and companies started coming to us in that professional context. Companies saying, I'm using your browser extension. I'm seeing this list of tracking that's happening on my site and I have no idea what it means. Can you build me a software service that tells me what it means and what I should do? And of course, yeah, like any good set of entrepreneurs were like, yeah, we'll do that. And we sold, sold like a million dollars of contracts in a, a, in less than two quarters. And all of a sudden we realized we were onto something. 
Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys had the, you know, it, started, it all started with the plugin first and then people just started asking for this additional offering and that was kind of what started to kind of spike your revenues, right? Yeah, that's it. And that's an exciting spot to be in. Great. Okay. So what is the, I mean, what is a day in the life of a EIR at, you know, one of the top private equity firms look like? It's awesome. It's also really weird if you're an operator because not a lot happens in, in one sense and uh, it's not for everyone. So I had uh, between full-time employees and contractors, I had almost a thousand people working for me when I was at about.com. And then, you know, I go to Warburg and I'm for the first time, I'm not responsible for anybody except my immediate family. You know, I have no direct reports. It's just, you're there to look for great, interesting opportunities. And the Warburg folks were very generous. And uh, what I used the time to do was essentially, I picked up the phone and called everybody who I either knew or always wanted to get to know and said, essentially, you know, I'm buying lunch, I'm buying dinner, I'm buying breakfast. Would love to just hear what you're working on and see what you think isn't getting done well, because I have nothing to sell you today. But in a year, I'm going to be back with something I think that I want to sell you. I want to make sure it's the right thing. Are you free? That's a pretty easy invite, uh, especially when, you know, the Warburg guys were, uh, were supporting this. And I learned a tremendous amount. And it was really cool because... I just got to listen. So you do a lot of listening. It's very quiet and studious relative to running a company. But what I think makes the EIR experience most successful is that every private equity fund has the investment bankers bringing them the deals that are on the market. And the bank, the the Warburg guys, like everybody else, take those meetings when they see something interesting. And going to those is, is, is very helpful. But where you really learn is the Warburg guys were... Uh, very open with letting me into some of their key partner meetings so I could see how the folks who now are on my board think about investments, going to board meetings of portfolio companies to see how a, a good board meeting is run because I hadn't been the CEO of a standalone company before. And then where it really breaks out, breaks out is when you come up with, a, you see a gap in the market that no one else sees and you go for it. And that's, that's what has happened with our company. And I think it's a reason we're feeling very good about how things are going right now. Interesting. Okay. Now, Rough range. How many customers do you guys have today? So we have over 400 enterprise customers and the Ghostery browser extension has been installed more than 50 million times. Wow, 50 million. Okay, so let's just talk about the browser browser extension. How did you go about acquiring the first, let's just say, thousand customers? So, (laughs) Or users, I should say. So so in our case, we we bought the company. David Cancel had acquired the first 700,000 installs. Ah, okay. (laughs) But the the answer, uh, and we were fortunate in that we found, David had built this very cool niche brand. But the the way that we went from 700,000 installs to 50 million installs, the secret sauce there was we, we really figured out, we just hit a niche in the market. And the, and we were very good at social media. We've never spent a penny to acquire a ghost reuser. We don't pay for distribution. It's all organic. And that's where the, when we acquired Ghostry, we had a small team that we put on it. And those guys were just incredible at, at taking the Ghostry brand promise and communicating it out to users. And that led to very, a lot of very positive reviews in the, in the press and in the app stores, which led to high rankings, which led to a lot of downloads. Great. What is, what, what's one thing that you're doing today in terms of customer acquisition that's working well? So we have opened up our, our uh, enterprise platform. 
So you can go to ghostry.com today and right at the top of the page, you can get a real-time analysis of what's happening on your site for free. We're getting over a thousand inquiries a month and almost all of it is organic. So by making a lighter version of the enterprise product available for free, we're generating a lot of inbound. And that's something that's breakout. And it's also, it's great because uh, it forces, it enforces a discipline on us to try to make the enterprise solution that it doesn't really have any direct competitors. So it also means that not everybody understands what it does and what it is. So it, it requires us to be, to try to be smart about explaining it simply so that someone can, can right away engage with the product and come out feeling like, wow, this is very cool. I get it. Awesome. You know, interestingly enough, David Cancel, a couple episodes back, you know, he talked about how, you know, today's lead magnet, quote unquote, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing ebooks, you know, driving traffic to ebooks and trying to get opt-ins that way. But he says, you know, the, the new lead magnet is really trying to build some type of widget that you can kind of get people to use. Uh, and that, that has, you know, a higher, I, I think there's a you know, much higher value kind of attached to that. And I think that's exactly what you guys are doing. And uh, just another testament to that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because this meeting where I met the CEO of um, New Relic, and he said, his last company said the, the, the success of New Relic was built, built out of, quote, the failure of my last company. Now, I had to laugh because that last company was a company he sold to uh, Computer Associates for $375 million. So, you know, Lou, Lou Cern's threshold for failure and success is, is pretty high. Uh, so I had to laugh. But he said, I used to spend all this money, white papers, webinars, a big outside sales team trying to get meetings with the CTO of the company of these big enterprises. Now I give a basic new relic product away for free and people can start using it almost instantly with a credit card. And now the CTO calls me because he says, I've got 50 people in my company using your stuff. We should talk. Right. Just, it's, it's just, I mean, you know, I think people tend to think that, oh my God, it's, it's such a big investment, but you think uh, if you're playing the long game, it just pays off in the long run, right? Yeah. Great. Okay. So, you know, obviously, you know, you, you bought the company, you, you have 700K users already. You know, what are some big struggles you faced while kind of, you know, I guess after buying the company? And we're going back a ways, but I think uh, it's very interesting to bring that up. So we, um, right after we bought the Ghostry browser extension, and this is six and a half years ago. So the, the company at the time was called Better Advertising. So the big fear that a lot of people had was, oh, no, you're going to start collecting our data and using it for advertising. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, Ghostry is sold out. Well, the day with the transaction closed, Firefox had also pushed out a new update that broke the browser extension. So all of a sudden, everyone's worst fears seemed to be getting fulfilled. They're like, holy smokes, these guys just sold out to a bunch of ad guys. And look at this. See, now Ghostry is acting weird. Oh, they must be collecting our data. And people went nuts. So... Uh, that was the, the first thing was very quickly, how do we make sure we're way ahead of communicating what we're doing to ghost three users? Because they, they appreciate it tremendously uh, to the point where now ghost three, while not open source, all the browser extension code is out there on the Internet. Uh, we, we bend over backwards to make it clear what we're doing with our data, what code is out there, what data we use and you know what we do with it. And we try to just be as I think at times we're transparent to a fault, which is great. And we do it not only externally, we do it internally. We're very transparent in terms of how we, how we share things internally with our company. Right. So it sounds like, you know, that, I guess the key takeaway there was, uh, you know, being able to communicate well, and I guess fostering that sense of community and, and transparency, right? Yeah, you got it. 
Great. So switching gears right here, you know, we, we talked about the big struggles you face. I guess what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? <laughs> oh, man. So, here, well, I'll tell you the advice I would have given to my 22-year-old self. Let's start. Which was, I, so I studied, my degree from undergrad is in uh, public policy. But that's a bit of a misnomer because I spent most of my, my last two years in college doing a lot of statistical work, uh, computer programming. You know, a lot of time in front of an SPSS terminal. And this is a long time. It was 1990, 91. And a friend of mine said, you know, you probably have enough of the, the prereqs done that you could do another year in college and maybe get a CS degree. And that was a big mistake. I should have got, I should have done that. I should have stayed an extra year and gotten a CS degree. Now, it's not like my life has turned out terribly at all. <laughs> I've been very fortunate, but I know that if I'd had a CS degree, I think it would have opened up more more opportunities for me and I would have had a better view of where the market was going. That's the first thing. I think the second advice to my 25-year-old self is, uh, I'm not gonna talk about the personal stuff. I'd say from a business perspective is... Why don't we talk about the personal stuff unless it's too personal? I think I feel like it's something that's really helpful. Yeah, I think it's a little too personal uh, and for, in that sense in terms of just what happened in my life when I was 25. But I think in terms of the business advice for your 25-year-old self, if you see all your friends running in one direction, think hard about why they're all running in that direction because it may be really, really smart or it may be really, really dumb. And, you know, in my case, I ran in the same direction as just about everybody else in my business school class. And for the summer, I got a great gig at a very prestigious consulting firm. And after school, a year later, everyone ran back to those types of secure jobs. And that was 1996. And I think if I had had my eyes open more, I would have gone in a different direction and gone into technology then as opposed to three or four years later. Interesting. Okay. That's great insight. All right. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Uh, you have to read Ben Horowitz's The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Great. You must. Do not start a company until you've read it. You are, let's see, I believe you're number 25 to recommend that on this podcast. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of the, that, I think that, that is the number one recommended book here. Yeah. I guess what would be number two for you? I'm just curious now. Yeah. Wow. So number two, it depends. I actually have two A and two B. I love to read big historical biographies, especially now that I can carry them around on my, on my Kindle. So they're not, you know, a thousand pages. I think if you want to really understand managing a team in a complex environment, read um, the Lincoln book, Team of Rivals. Uh, don't see the movie. The movie covers a very small piece of this. Read the whole giant thousand page Doris Kearns Goodwin book. The other one, which is a, a much shorter read, is probably um, Clay Christensen's book. Oh gosh, what's it called? It's a very short, uh, it's based on his final lecture from HBS that he gives every year. It's not Innovator's Dilemma, is it? No, it's not. It's not. It's much shorter. Crossing the Chasm? No, no, hold on. Give me one sec. I'll tell you. It's, um, it's not Innovator's Dilemma. Um, it's, it's actually, oh, it's How Will You Measure Your Life? Mm. And it's based on, it's his, usually his last lecture in his first year class. It's very short and it's, you know, I should probably reread this. I haven't read it in a while. One of the best things, hilarious things about it is remember there were people in his business school class who ended up in jail. So his last chapter is how to stay out of jail. 
<laughs> I love it. Great. Well, we'll drop these in the show notes. I'm, I'm glad I asked for 2A and 2B because those sound really compelling uh, for sure. So I'll add this to my list personally as well. But Scott, I mean, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Hit me at Twitter, at Scott Meyer. That's usually the best way. All right, perfect. Well, everyone, check out Ghostry. I've been using it for God knows how long. It's been super useful just because just I like to see what the heck's going on on the web. But once again, this is Scott Meyer from Ghostry. Thanks again, Scott. Thanks, Eric. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.